Welcome back, Alcohol Tipping Point listeners. This is kind of a different episode, uh, different for me, that's for sure. I Honestly, this was an interview with someone that was, it was in the making for years, I should say. I want to take you back to, gosh, 10, 13, 14 years ago when I first met Dylan, who was on the show. I met him at the Y, the YMCA, which was kind of like my salvation. I spent a lot of time there because I had a little kid, um, a little toddler actually, and then I was pregnant with Alice. It was really, just motherhood was a really difficult time in my life. Anyway, the Y to me was just a place for me to escape, to have the kids in child watch, and for mom to have a break basically. So I spent a lot of time there, and one of the classes I started doing was a dance class called Body Jam. I still do it, still do it, still love it. But that's where I met Dylan, and Dylan was a teacher there, and he was married to uh, a woman, I'll just call her D because she's not here to tell her story, but he was married to uh, just a fantastic, cool chick, like one of those moms that you look at and you're just like wow they are the cool mom like she to this exercise body jam class she would wear lace-up black boots and bright red lipstick and her hair would be down her makeup would be on and she was just like she was just cool she had three cute darling little kids she had her husband dylan at the time who just seemed to be having fun they seemed to have the life the life that I wanted or I thought I wanted, but really didn't know what was going on behind the scenes with them. And it's kind of just a reminder that we don't know what other people's stories are. We we think we know someone or know of them, and we kind of have this perception of people that they're perfect, they have the the best life, the best marriage, best family, and, and we really don't know. And we put those stories on ourselves as well. We kind of present this picture to the world that we're okay when many times we're not. So with Dylan and Dee, I didn't really know them. I just knew of them and knew them just very peripherally at the Y. And so I knew that they, Dylan had disappeared from class. I knew that they had gotten divorced. And I remember walking in the Y one day, and there was a card for Dee for her family because she had died. And I asked, what happened? Like, I I had no idea. I, I knew I hadn't seen her for a while. But she had committed suicide. And I just remember being shocked and so sad. And I just, I couldn't believe it. I didn't know why. And I was trying to piece together their story without really knowing them again. And just knowing that here she was, a mom of, of three little kids similar in age to mine, and and she had taken her life. And I was just, it, it was really sad. It still is. So I did find out later more about Dylan and that he had gone through his own tragic story and had a serious problem with drinking and had gone to rehab. And I found him later, years later, um, on a podcast. He was hosting a podcast called Fun and Sobriety. And it was, for the most part, a local podcast in Boise. And at the time, I didn't know, I didn't personally know anyone who was sober or had like really gone through giving up drinking and had had a problem with drinking. So I just devoured this up these episodes of Fun and Sobriety because they were mainly interviews with local people. Again, I didn't really know them. I just knew that a lot of them lived in the same town I did. And they shared their stories and they were just honest and authentic. And I just told myself as I was still trying to give up drinking, I said to myself, I'm going to get sober I'm going to share my story and I'm going to be on Dylan's podcast. Well, 
strangely enough, uh, he stopped doing his podcast and I started a podcast. But I still kind of thought back to that and and how that was kind of a, a guidepost for me just to get to the point where I could share my story. And then just a couple months ago, I was at my daughter's counseling office and I see a flyer and it's for an alcohol support group and it's being led by Dylan, who I learned from the flyer is now a student going back for his master's in counseling locally. And so I I just thought, oh, this is a sign. I need to reach out. I need to send him an email. And so I did. And I I kind of shared what I just shared with you, how how I had known him and and known his ex-wife and he agreed to come on my show since he doesn't have his podcast active anymore and so this keep in mind i hadn't we had never had a conversation before i just kind of knew of him peripherally and had taken these jam classes from him so then he does come to my house I'm not set up for having multiple guests or a guest in my little home office. I have one mic. (laughs) And so it was kind of awkward because we're sitting around this one mic, like very close to each other in our bubbles, just sharing how we know each other and Dylan sharing what his story was for getting sober and what his life is like now. But it was just really honest conversation. And again, like, hearing him talk again and having a conversation with him, just realizing all the stories I had painted that weren't necessarily true. And so I just want to remind you all, you know, as you're navigating the world out there and and you're seeing people, I just kind of remember that everyone has their own story and we are all just projecting our best selves. And so when you can find people that you can be authentic and true with, like really hang on to those people and let yourself be honest with them. One thing I do want to say about this interview is at a couple points, Dylan says for him, sobriety, getting sober is selfish. And I don't think it's selfish. I think it's the most caring, kind, self-compassionate, self-loving act you can do. And I think drinking can be selfish, but I don't think getting sober is selfish. So I just just wanted to clarify that. I hope you find this conversation interesting. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Alcohol Tipping Point podcast. I am your host, Deb Maisner. I'm a registered nurse, mm. health coach, and I'm an alcohol-free badass. Oh my God. And I got you a sticker too. Today on the show is Dylan Haas. He is also an alcohol-free badass. I'm sober. Okay, sober. <laughs> but that <laughs> does, you it does contain alcohol freedom. <laughs> Freedom um, from the alcohol. Yes. So I, I'm so excited to have you on the show, Dylan. It's been a long time. It has been a long time. Coming. Coming. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I've, so you've been anticipating this for a while. Years. For real? Yes. Describe that. What what, okay. what are you talking about? So I have to give you some back or background for people listening. So sure. I know Dylan <laughs> and how I know Dylan, <laughs> which seems crazy. It, it is not I know what you would expect. Dylan. <laughs> From the YMCA and teaching body jam, yes, which is my jam, which is dance class. This is a. Can you believe you are a dance class teacher? <laughs> Can I believe it? Yes, it does. Does it seem incongruous with every other aspect of my personality? Also, yes. <laughs> okay, it was so fun. It was so fun. So that was, I think I was pregnant with Alice. So okay. like 13, 14 years ago. Yeah, it was. Yes, I trained like 14 years ago. So yeah, it must have been. Yeah. And I quit doing it just about eight years ago. So yeah. 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 yeah it, it was so fun. It was so fun. It so, was so fun. Dylan and his wife at the time uh-huh. both went to the Y. And 
I share this also just because I think it's a good example. We don't really know what's going on in other people. Oh, Jesus, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so to me, I saw you having a great time dancing. I To me, I, I thought, oh, here's this couple and they have fun together and they have so, three yeah. adorable kids. Yes, yes, we, we do, did. I don't know how you put it. Yeah. So wait, wait. So you were pregnant with? I'm sorry. What did? What's your name? I was pregnant with Alice, who okay, is my yours. youngest your daughter. Your youngest daughter. Okay. So what year was she born? She was born in 2009. Okay. Okay. So yes, that would have been. So she was born in 2009. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that would have been an interesting time for me to be a jam instructor. Let's say it that way. Uh, which I found out later on. Like all of a sudden, mean? we're not a jam instructor. Ah. Okay. And so describe that experience for you. Well, I, I, I think <laughs> I want to hear more about Dylan, but I know, but um, this is what's going to happen. So for me, I, like I said, had looked up to you guys and I didn't really know you well. Sure. And so I just had all these preconceived she was, a, she was a real presence, let's say, at the, yeah. in the camera. Yes, she <laughs> was someone I also looked up to as like someone who I thought, oh, this is someone who's really killing it at motherhood. Mm. She's unique. She's amazing. And I just didn't know what was going on. Yeah, and of course. So I remember your your wife at the time saying to me, I was like, where's Dylan? I've been missing Dylan. And she said, Dylan is finding Dylan. Oh, my God. And that's all I knew. Really? That's actually polite. I'm surprised yeah. that it was that polite. Fast forward a couple years after you all divorced. Hmm and hearing some more rumors about you and your situation and then you know tragically when your ex-wife took her own life and mm -hmm. just I, I still remember going to the I'm finding out about that yeah. and how I just thought I thought she had it all together I thought you I thought I just had this picture in my head and it was gut wrenching to hear and piece together stories because I, I never really got the whole story because, again, yeah. it's just people you kind of know and sure. you see and you don't get the whole story. Sure. And so then fast forward a few more years again. Okay. Also, I've been dealing at the same time with my drinking okay. problem and my drinking issues okay. and hiding it. And so then finding you on your podcast coming oh. out. Your okay. fun and sobriety podcast. Yes, yes. So this was the local <laughs> podcast you had done, and you had all Boise people on. There was a Mostly. couple people. Yeah, there, yeah, it wasn't intentionally that way, but I was somewhat lazy about the pool of people that I solicited to come on, mainly people around town. Yeah. yeah. People I know, people I can run into. I had a couple of people from out of state. Um, yeah, and it's yeah. not technically over. It's just on hiatus. Oh, good. Called. I hope you bring it back. I, I want to bring it back. I, oh, good. I'm just it, it, I'm stretched thin right now. Okay. So. Okay. So then I was able to kind of continue my Dylan obsession. Oh, knock it off. <laughs> because now I could piece together some of the story. True. Well, um, and at least one of those I go through. I think I go through some pretty good. You detail. do. Okay. You do. You share your story, which we can share today too. I don't know that I've gone into any of the body jam stuff in that podcast. So that was never another, mentioned. Yes, this is no another mention of body jam. It doesn't seem. To, okay. To those, to those podcasts. Well, to me it does. Of course, no. Knowing I, what I know now. Well, that you were so high functioning and hmm. teaching a very coordinated class, <laughs> right? Oh, yes. <laughs> were you drinking that whole time? Okay, so yes. I mean, I was drinking when I trained. I trained to become a body jam instructor. I will use this as our inroad. Okay. okay. I was drinking heavily, regularly, secretly. Yeah. When I trained, I trained in. Spring of 2008. Spring of 2008. Yes. Got my certification and I had a class that I was running while I was still drinking. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, or it's, I don't know, it's, it's all kind of a muck, but my ex, she and I, we split summer of 2008. It was roughly the way I can keep all that in, in, in track. Yes, I was high functioning until that moment when we split. Yeah. Basically, I drank in secret secret years always had a 
less than functional relationship with alcohol from the beginning. <clears throat> first time I ever had a drink or whatever, got drunk. More or less the first time I had a real drink, I blacked out. And I was a blackout drinker all through my teens and in my young early 20s. Got together with that person. And she was someone who I wanted to impress and who's in. whose opinion of me mattered and I wanted to look good in her eyes. So mm -hmm. I used her as an excuse to become a better man, as I put it in my head. I was also resentful and not really paying attention to what I was doing with myself. And so I white knuckled quitting drinking right after my first kid was born. Thousand early yeah, early two thousand. The kid was born in early 2000. I started white knuckling it around the middle of 2000, let's say, because I was still drinking heavily. I was in graduate school and didn't have a lot of social pe social network that people that I was in grad school with, but I wasn't friends with them. I had my ex's family who were great, but, you know, they were family, not friends. And so I just drank. I drank all the time on, on the sly. Well, I should be more accurate. We drank, but I would drink a bunch, but just keep it a secret how much mm -hmm. I was drinking. And so I quit drinking um, when the kid was about six months old because my ex was like, make a choice because you're not going to be like this because she, she was working and I was in graduate school. So I would <clears throat> watch the kid in the mornings and then go to do my my research stuff at school during the afternoons and into the evening then we just kind of co-parent or not co-parent but you know teen parent mm -hmm. and one night she popped in the shower and during the time for her time frame for her of however long it takes to take a shower i went from being a functional father to someone who was sloppy drunk you know in her eyes ready to drop the kid i wasn't going to drop the kid but i got to argue with somebody because i was drunk as fuck yeah. and I had to come clean that I was drinking like, yeah, I'd had a couple of beers, but I'd also had like a quarter bottle of gin on top of it. So, yeah, I quit drinking then for about three and a half years of white knuckling, which is just to say I didn't do anything. I just mm -hmm. didn't drink and just acted like it wasn't a big deal. And then... Right around when, soon after our second child was born, a few years later, I just decided to drink again. So that was about 2004. From 2004 to 2008, I just drank on the sly. In a few months of starting in 2004, I'd say by 2005, it was like March of 2004. By beginning of 2005, I was drinking to borderline blackout every single night and keeping it a secret. So everyone thought you were sober. Yeah, a teetotaler, for sure. Wow. So, and that, you know, that just speaks to my connection with people. Mm -hmm. um, I had a corporate job, so I had corporate friends at work. I didn't work, I didn't drink on the job. That started in 2008, but prior to that, I was... Whatever, it was after work kind of stuff, a couple of drinks. Maybe I'm exaggerating every night getting blackout drunk, but it certainly started to get there towards mm -hmm. the end. But I was certainly going from a little tipsy to one or two drunks on the weekend to getting pretty drunk most nights to the point where my third kid was born in 2005, fall of 2005. I realized during the week I took off to be home with the kid and with my family that that was the only week I hadn't drank and gotten drunk for several years at that point. And I also realized that I wasn't going to not do it anymore. That as soon as I went back to work, mm. as soon as the week was up, I was going to start because I was missing it. Yeah. Body jam time was, you know, we stopped having kids. We both started to out all the time, get in shape, start being sexy, feeling that, feeling our oats kind of stuff. And with that, came just this like free-for-all for me. I'm not really sure what what was the incentive to do body jam. I think, I mean, she and I were doing the class together and I don't know. I think she, you know, I, it's easy to paint a picture of her now as being uncaring and, and what have you because it did blow up in our faces. But 
she cared about me and she knew that I would find something good there. And I know, I mean, I think she liked the idea of her husband being up there doing that sort of like, I think she was also a little jealous. It was this weird dichotomy that she was into the idea that I was super good at this and up there at the center of attention and also wanted to put me down to make sure nobody was actually after me. I, I can't build a story for her, but I dug it. And yeah, I mean, I learned the choreography. I, I would, I was into it. I wasn't very good at it. I mean, I, I had to work super hard and I would, I would drink. And I don't know. Did you ever drink before the class? No, never I would be terrible. I did a lot of classes hungover. Oh, sure. well, me too. That's part of why um, I would drink. That's why I'm like, so like, oh my God, I can't believe it. I can't. Well, I think I can dance when I wasn't, drunk, I but... wasn't hammered, right? Like I would just have a buzz on. It was so. almost probably you were in maintaining sure. your be norm normality versus oh, yeah. oh for sure yeah and then you know so whatever that was in early 2008 that people came and trained all of us that became jam instructors at that time and then by that summer I'm trying to frame this all around jam because that's how you started <laughs> so the summer <laughs> I think by the summer you know we trained and then you had to do all the certification stuff which means getting approval from the the, the higher ups of the Les Mills program, whatever. So by the summertime, I was co-teaching on a regular basis with other teachers who were good at it. I was, you know, it was the first thing I'd ever done as an instructor. And that's like truly the most difficult class to teach. Yeah. Because there's so much choreography involved compared to all the other ones. So looking back, it was pretty heuristic of me to think that I could do it. But I'm going to do it. And in the middle of all that, she and I broke up. And I used the breakup as an excuse to come out of the closet drinking, about drinking. Mm -hmm. And that's why I say it really fell off the rails after we separated. Mm -hmm. Separated like the last week of July of 2008. Yeah. And so I just started drinking really hard at that point because I no longer had to hide it. I no longer had to have this. I had an excuse for why I could be now celebrated for drinking again, air quotes again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, no one's going to blame me for being a little off the rails because I'm, I'm heartbroken and, you know, I'm going through so much and I'm experiencing so much. And I'm, I don't I mean, I was I remember trying to make, I think I had a Sunday afternoon jam class at that point or maybe late morning. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I was I was well too drunk to be doing that. But I remember having this feeling of like, it's so funny that nobody's stopping me. And so I would just go do it. And I, I, it was all about me and how great I was. Right. I remember like just having the sense of being the center of attention and wanting that, even though I was trying to tell myself, that's not what I wanted. And jam was significant for me. That was a significant thing because it was all about feeding my ego and feeding this, like, look how fucking great I am attitude. And I think I taught all through that because by October, that was like the beginning of August, end of July when we separated. And by October, October 11th, I was laid off from work. And it was under the auspice of just a general layoff, but I had corrective actions against me and I was drunk as fuck at work all the time. So it was a convenient excuse to walk me out the door. And so then from that point until January of 2009, I struggled to not drink, but knew I couldn't stop drinking. And I kept teaching jam. And it was like this one little window of like, see, I'm a normal person. You want all this? Is this what you're looking for? This is like the history? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Like, I, I think it's interesting. You talk about your ego and stuff. And I was like, gosh, I guess I kind of fed into that because I was just yeah. like, the whole room is so of, cool. The whole room full of people, women, mainly. Right. Just yeah. like, what a cool guy. And he's such mm -hmm. a good dancer. And he's so funny. Yeah, he's and cute. He's got a nice smile. Because, yeah. Goodness. Like, yeah. I could see how mm -hmm. you maybe you would feed into that. But mm -hmm. I also could see how it would be a bright spot sure. for you, too. It's a like a double-edged sword kind of thing. Right. And that's part of why I say... It was significant for me because <clears throat> I got sober. I had a, I had a seizure trying to stop drinking 
mm. on January 4th, 2009, because my body, I mean, I had, yeah. by the time I got fired, I was already drinking for maintenance. Like I, I would wake up shaking and would have to drink to get rid of the shakes. And then that also was convenient enough to make me forget that I was drinking to get rid of the shakes. So in my head, I was like, oh, I'm all set. I'm right as rain. I'm drinking because I want to, even mm. though first thing in the morning, it's like, no, you're not going to make it. And so that morning I decided I'd have one drink and then not for the rest of my life. And by that evening I had a, a seizure and I went into a treatment center. And when I came out, I got back on board with jam. I got back just kind of just doing my thing. I was like, I see it now as having just reset my attitude, right? I mean, I dried out, got rid of the liquor was in a place for 21 days so I couldn't have anything and when I came out I was just kind of back to being myself and I, I wonder if that's that's probably when you you had that conversation with her where you're like where's Dylan and oh. she's like well Dylan's finding himself right because it's a kind of a mixed bag for her like I'm sure she knew I mean she knew I needed help but I'm sure she also wasn't super happy that I was selfishly getting help right? for lack of a better way to put it yeah. right? like getting sober is a very selfish thing because you i you can't do it for someone else you have, can only do it for yourself mm -hmm. and you can't do any aspect of it with an outward direction connected to it it has to all be the person inside of you and I didn't have that sense then. I was doing it because I knew I needed to do it and I wanted to reset and make sure people could see that I was back and I'm okay. And I got my jam class back and, or maybe it never went anyway, who knows. And I stayed sober for about 90 days. Then I had a drink one night dancing and Got home and um, decided, well, you know, could have a glass of whiskey and I'll start over sober thing here in the morning. Big glass of Maker's Mark. Watched Terminator 2 on VHS at my parents' house because I was living in my parents' house as a well-adjusted 37-year-old man with three children is wont to do. And in the morning, I started over. Just drank the rest of that bottle and skipped out on the family stuff that I had planned for that afternoon because it was Easter and just made some excuse to my ex and the kids. We weren't exes yet, but we were all intents and purposes. And just drank and drank and wound up with all three of the kids in the car with me. And I took them to swimming lessons at the Y. That Monday night, this was Saturday night that I drank, and all day Sunday, and then Monday. I remember passing out in that. You, you've taken your kids for swimming lessons at the Y, mm -hmm. that, sitting over by the little kitty section where it's so fucking hot. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, whoa. And I remember, like, I remember fading back in and realizing we'd been sitting there for who knows how long. And I'm sure, I'm sure that like lifeguards and shit are like, what the fuck is this guy? Like just passed out in a chair sitting here, jumped up, ran into those gross bathrooms right there by the kiddie pool there and just vomited everywhere. And then came out and grabbed my kids and then we just took off. And then I wound up being faced the wrong way up Ninth Street right over there by the Y, trying to find my way to Burger King and woke up with the police tapping on the window and so I wound up in jail with the UI, obviously, three counts of child endangerment and panicked, ran away, I hid for a couple of weeks at my girlfriend's house. I had a girlfriend, she was out of town just I knew my ex didn't know where to find her house. I knew my friends didn't really know where she lived. I knew her. They just didn't know her house. So just all the way, turned my phone off and just drank until she returned. And she was like, well, <laughs> it's good to see you, but you're not living here. And I went to a second treatment center. So two, two treatment centers within 
three months. Last time I drank, 22nd, 2009. Wow. Oh. Middle of it, I still had my jam. Still had body jam releases coming. And I think I put them on a hot pause while I went to that second treatment center. I remember still like practicing a little. When I was in the first treatment center, I was really into it. And I was just like focusing on jam in a way that was distracting me from having to look at any of the other stuff that you do in a treatment center. And have you been to a treatment center? No, I have not. But you're aware of like what goes on in yeah. them. I mean, you're an RN. I assume at some point there's substance use education. So yeah, I mean, it's a lot of treatment center I went to the 21 day program was like I don't know that it, there was one person in the staff who was a recovering alcoholic and I like could get a vibe off of him that he understood what was going on the rest of them were like like some 24 year old woman who's like trying to explain to us family systems and I'm like get out of here <laughs> like I mean whatever <clears throat> so I was just you know I think at one point they even like let me teach a body jam class in because we'd have like exercises on or whatever like free time yeah. on saturdays and the second center i went into I, I i did everything differently including that like i remember like having the music on my ipod and like sort of doing the routines because I, I just there was something about the movement that gave me felt good do it but i wasn't i was doing it on my own like i like I'm doing it a handful of times in my room and like my buddy kid who i was buddies with in the 28 day program this one he like popped in and like peeked in the window and was like laughing at me like ah, i saw you in there dancing when i got out from that program i had a few months of doing nothing but 12-step program right like that that was my that was my to me it was the only way i could see myself moving forward i had gone to some 12-step stuff as part of the tried some outpatient stuff before i went in before i had my seizure the program both programs were based around 12 steps so i was familiar with it and i went door to door i got released from the second center the walker center straight from there to a meeting just tried to commit myself to doing the meeting stuff and Somewhere along the line, I realized that I wanted to still jam. And I remember thinking that, like, this has to be different. It can't be about me. It has to be about jam. And this is going to be the jam podcast, I guess. Because I did. I, I changed my approach. And I, I, I found the joy in the dance. I found the joy of being there and sharing the experience rather than trying to make the experience about it's just a, a mindset, right? I'm I'm sure from the outside, other than uh, I my abilities improved dramatically when I shifted my focus like that. And it's probably also because I was actually sober, so who knows? But it just shifted everything, right? Like I felt like the classes themselves were more joyful. People came and were more engaged in it, and it was it was truly about that. I mean, I not a dead man i would appreciate that there was a room full of women that i i appreciate attention from a room full of women women woman one woman <laughs> in the form of several women but from a humility standpoint and from keeping it real standpoint i was trying to make it about the experience right everyone's there to exercise even if part of them's like and eh, it doesn't hurt that it's this guy up there but they're all there up there for that right i mean you came to jam for a long time. It was it was about just fun, right? Like it's doing that so class fun. is fun, right? I still go to jam. It's Do you? So okay, fun. yeah, it yeah. is fun. I I haven't been in like a year. I I I after she passed and I don't know going to all that, but the I eventually I I let it go for not great reasons. I kind of regret. I do wish that I was still doing it sometimes, and sometimes I'm, I'm like. You're good. You move on with your life. Because mm. it is fun, but I'm 50. It, it feels silly to be up there teaching it at 50. It, even if, even if, because I have gone in the last few years to, when I go to Axiom now, 
and I've enjoyed it. And sometimes they bring older ones and I'm like, oh, God, I fucking know this. Throwing my arms around. And I do have that like return of like, oh, God, because it's all it's a it's a body memory of I would learn that choreography to my core. So as soon as the music kicks in, my body's just like, oh, there it is. And so, yeah, I'm like, oh, man, I could do this. And step aside and like, you're also 50. Just let it be for the young people. It's fine. Oh, it's for everyone. That's well, doing it ask. is fine, but teaching okay. it, teaching it, being up there, like learning it. it. Having removed myself for a few years and going back and enjoying the classes, I'm acutely aware of there's some silliness to it that I'm just like, I, I don't need to be committing all my time to this because I'm not going to not going to do it half ass. Right. I mean, my classes were spot on. And whether the people in the class understood it or not, I was spot on. And yeah. if I made an error, it was, you know, I corrected oh. it. I think there was one other instructor there that was of a similar mindset of like, it has to be fucking perfect or else it ain't right. Okay. Uh, and so that was part of like, I can't commit my time and energy to this to the extent that I want to and do the rest of my life the way I want to. So I had to let it go. Yeah. Just what I convinced myself. It was partly because of a woman. Okay. <laughs> another story for another time. Sure. Why not? Well, thank you for sharing that. Sure. And congratulations. Congratulations on, on not not doing jam anymore. <laughs> yeah. Good thank work. Because you, you look really silly doing it. <laughs> no, no, no. It was fun. But I, I, I was just kind of reflecting on you know how you were saying like why didn't anybody notice? How am I getting away with this? Right. Sure. Well, no one's paying attention to us. It's <clears throat> yeah, and I had. A couple experiences at the Y. One, I'll just share two of them, but <laughs> it's, it's a whole wide discussion. But one was I had gone in to do one of those body fat measurement tests. Oh, okay. Right? Like and in the water? No, they just, just the did calipers. the calipers. Okay. I just was like, okay. I went down and was in this room with with one of the trainers. And I told him, basically, the thing is, I drink too much. I have a drinking problem. I kind of poured my heart out. And to, I this, to, this, to this guy with a caliper? Uh-huh. At the Y, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Sounds bad. But then I thought, oh, they're going to like they're gonna catch me on the way out. They're going to give me some pamphlets. They're going to give me some brochures. <laughs> the pamphlets? I don't know, Dylan, but I just thought, okay. Well, the so pamphlets would have done it, too, so it's on them. <laughs> But for me, it was a big deal to like come out and say that. Of course. And 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 nothing happened. No one ever said sure. anything. And I would awkwardly see this guy all the time, right? Oh my god. And I'm sure he was just like uh, sure he didn't think twice about it. I know, yeah. right? Yeah, like people don't notice. No. And and just talking about like here you can be going and doing something good for your health. <laughs> showing up. And this is my other Y story. I remember going to the West Y. All right. Hungover, fuck, right? And usually I would go work out, and that would kind of be my punishment, my sure. self-flagellation. Okay, sure. And I, I you wouldn't take a shot before you did that. Never. Oh my god. Okay. I mean, good thing, right? Well, I could. I was so sick. Oh, so okay. this time I went into the, one of the handicap bathrooms. Mm-hmm. I locked the door. I laid on the bathroom floor. Yeah, it was nice and cool. The whole class period. While my daughter was in, she was in child watch. Sure. And I just laid there and I was just like, I can't do this. Like, why do I keep doing this to myself? Right. But I was still functioning. Sure. I didn't hit rock A few hours later, you were fine. (laughs) That night, I remember drinking that night and thinking, but I just, it's just, I, I, what I wanted to share with you also was about your podcast, which was seeing and hearing from real people, mm. not just characters in movies or that sure. you read about in books, like knowing that there are real people out here. For me, you having your local guests, like, oh, there's people in Boise that are doing this. They there's get a this. lot of people. There's a lot of people. Yeah. And so for me, that really helped me feel not so alone. Yeah. And then also I was telling you like this interview was in the making because I would listen to your podcast and I would tell myself, I'm going to, I'm going to get sober and I'm going to come on Dylan's podcast and I'm going to share my story. Oh, 
So I, it, it was just so weird to go into my daughter's counseling office and there was a fire and you were on it. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. You told me that's how you found this or whatever, how you reached out to and me. And you were leading a support group. Uh, well, I was, yes, I was advertising to lead a support group. The support group never ran because not enough people like, oh, reached really? out. Yeah. It is what it is. Well, tell me about like, because you, your career initially was, hmm. <laughs> you have your PhD, right? You're a smart dude, right? <laughs> well, I have a PhD. And so okay. you, you can, you can draw any conclusions in you want between those two. Engineering? <laughs> uh, material science. Okay. Material science. Yeah. I have a, uh, yeah. Okay. So yes, I have a degree in physics and material science. Okay. And then you went to rehab, you came out. I still work as an engineer I, I, oh, working as, yeah, I okay. was working I was in graduate school for material science engineering got a job at Micron that's what brought us to Boise okay that was the corporate job that I was talking about yeah and then when I got sober after about a year of sobriety a little over a year I was hired back at not Micron but basically Micron okay and I've been doing that job ever since and just before the pandemic happened, just coincidentally, I decided I want to eventually switch careers. Yeah. And so I started graduate school again to become a counselor. Tell me so, about that. <laughs> well, and that's why the podcast, my podcast is on hold. So I was, the podcast was an attempt to be of service, right? Like yeah. I, I wanted to share and share my story, share people's stories to the broader audience of, you know, the endless sea of podcasts. So who knows how many people find it, but it was just a way that I could be a little bit more in my eyes of service to people because I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with the program, with the 12-step program, but there's an aspect of it as being there for other people. I mean, that's the whole point of it, honestly. It's the thing it's built on is drunk people helping drunk people. And my lifestyle being full work kids and other things that I was doing, I'm not I'm not as solid a member of this little secret community as I'd like to be. So I was doing the podcast as a way to be of more service. And I'm not as solid a member of my corporate community as I should be or could be because I am a more emotional person. on a career path that doesn't fill me spiritually, which I've known forever, which is part of why I started drinking when I got the job at Micron, started going heavily on the slide. If you do the timeline there, you'll also see that it lines up a lot with recognizing I was stuck in a corporate job that I didn't want and was too afraid to figure out how to get out of. <clears throat> so I did a little soul searching as to what I could possibly do as a career change that is nominally sustainable and something that fuels, feeds my soul, right? Lack of a better way to put it, I want to help people. I, I can be there for people. I can help people without having to work at it job that I do, I can do my job and I can do it well, but I have to work at it. I have to concentrate on this is what I have to do today. Being there, help people sort through their shit, figure out what's going on with them, help them find balance in their lives. I can just do that. Do that. That's the embodiment of who I am. So decided to go to school for it. Reached out to Someone who I know who had an ex-girlfriend who had done the same thing. And I was like, hey, do you think I'm thinking of doing this? What do you think? And she was like, yeah, you got to fucking do that. The whole time I was in there, I was thinking of you doing this, which was flattering. And it was exactly what I needed. A little nudge to give me I was insecure about it until she gave me that feedback. And, you know, it made it clear like this was the smart, this was the proper thing. And that's also a core element of my sobriety is being present and connected to the universe. It's the aspect of spirituality. I hold in me is 
if I'm here and I'm grounded in this moment, prepared for the next moment, and next right thing is just going to be evident, and I'm into it without even having to think about it. That's what this felt like, and it's continued to feel that way. It's been I've got another semester after this semester, and then I will have an additional letters behind my name. We'll see where we go from there. I'm hoping to transition over. Okay. Recognize that we're recording and this is going to go out to the broader. Yes. But that my work knows I'm doing this. <laughs> and I, I just started that way because I didn't want to have to hassle with it. Yeah. And I just figured at some point, I would, you know, there'd be a complication and I'd have to be like, well, I can't make it to this meeting at seven at night because I've got something happening and here's what it is. But pandemic kicked in and so it's been a lot more of. Working from home, setting your own hours in terms of, you know, they expect me to be there normal business hours, but there's also a soft expectation of just get your responsibilities done. And so I'm taking advantage of the flexibility to on school schedule. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Neat. I, I kept wanting to say like, so, so like counseling and helping people is your jam. Yes, it is. Oh, my. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Wait, okay. This cheesy joke okay. leads me into okay. your other side gig of being a comedian. Oh, my God. What? Well, I, don't, I don't do comedy. Well, okay. Okay, so like I've intimated, the desire to get out of this corporate job has been there for years, right? It was why I was part of why I was drinking. It was part of the frustration and anxiety that I was trying to hide from. And... When I got sober and I, you know, like I said, it was about a year after I was sober that I was rehired into this position, or at least I, I ran into somebody who had a job there and was like, mm -hmm. you should come apply, blah, blah, blah. And when I got the job, I told myself, you know, because I was acutely aware of how dangerous it was for me in terms of my sobriety, considering how much of my drinking that led up to the crash was driven by this, like, overwhelming feeling of being stuck and I didn't want to have that happen to me again but I needed to have the job right like needed the job <laughs> I don't think I need to rationalize <laughs> three kids and a very angry ex-wife I needed a good job yeah so I told myself five years you got five years this was 2010 five years you gotta figure out a way to get get your shit together and figure out something else to do in five years Middle of that, I got caught up in another relationship, distracted myself in a way that I started turning my attention towards comedy. Like, I'm not stupid enough to think I'm going to become a professional comedian within a couple of years as a 40 year old person, but I was and am good at putting together producing comedy. So, yes, I was doing comedy because that's, you know, it was, I was, I've always been interested in doing comedy. So, let's, let's start there. Right. Okay. And so in my late 30s, I decided to give it a go. Not any good at it. Had fun at it. I'd have a few times where I was pretty good at it. But for the most part, I can't get out of my own head. Can't get out of my own way. Never found the comfort on the stage that I need to be successful at it. Anyone needs to be. But I'm good at producing. I'm good at seeing when other people are good at doing that and putting together solid production shows and blah, blah, blah. So I was planning Prior to deciding to become a counselor, I was planning to take over, try to take over the comedy scene here in town, which is grandiose. I, I wanted to buy the club, right? Mm -hmm. So I had a I had a good relationship with a guy who owned the club, and he wanted to sell it to me when he was ready to quit. And I don't know. I look at it as like grabbing for the brass ring, like I just missed it. <laughs> so the timing of it worked out. I, I put together a few comedy festivals. I still am involved in Treefort, the comedy portion mm -hmm. of Treefort. So I still do the planning, like the production value. Like I can, you know, I'm a good analytical thinker. I can put together solid shows. I can also emotionally intelligent. I can connect with artists and I know how to serve. Like as a festival, I was running my own festivals. What I focused on was making sure people, audiences, but the artists served, that they had, and make sure that they felt welcome, and I'm sure that they 
had is uh, my intent was to give them the best experience I could possibly give them so that their experience was positive and fed. And part of it was self-serving so that they would talk about how great my festival was and send their friends my way. But also, I just wanted them to have a good time. I wanted mm-hmm. to provide an experience that everyone just walked away from with as positive as possible. So yeah, when it was clear that that wasn't really going to work, that I wasn't going to make any money, and I was certainly not going to be able to take over the club, what else could I do? And that's part of what led me to like, well, joyed was serving those people and made them feel welcome and uh, right. So yeah, the comedy thing. I mean, I'm very particular. If you'll note, there's nowhere that I'm claiming I'm a comedian. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I and, and that's partly because I don't want to. There are people who out there who put their fucking soul into it, and I'm not going to sully that by saying, "Well, I'm also a comedian," because every now and then I'll go to an open mic. That's not the same thing. Mm, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, identity is important. For me, it sounds more glamorous. Sure, it's not but... glamorous at all. It's drunk. It's a lot of drunk people. Well, that's an interesting mm-hmm. choice that you were almost going to buy a club. Well, I wouldn't do that if I didn't feel comfortable yeah. in the environment, right? And, you and know, with your own sobriety. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the first time... <laughs> the first time I tried comedy was on the anniversary of the day I got fired. <laughs> it was like October... <laughs> that was so funny. I didn't. I never made a joke about that, but I just... It was October 11th, 2011, So, which is to say that was the first time I, like timidly found my yeah. way to an open mic and was like oh oh this is funny stuff but yeah and that's part of why i couldn't be any good at it or just couldn't commit to it to be any good at it is because it does take a lot of i mean it, it requires a lot of just sitting around an open mic is how you work out your stuff that's where you get to actually practice the art that is sitting around at a club or a bar waiting for your chance to go up and tell stupid things into a microphone for three to five minutes and the rest of the time you're just sitting there and i've never been built in a way that enabled me to just sit around doing fuck all for hours at a stretch ever but let alone after i'm sober and an adult so that was a real complication and i recognized very early in that if i was able to just slam back a few drinks I'd be fucking hilarious, or at least I'd think I was, and I'd certainly be looser and get out of my own way. Yeah, but you know, whatever. Okay, but now yeah. this career path for you <laughs> is in the form of counseling mm-hmm. and helping other people. Yeah, at least that's the hope. Well, let me ask you this: you know, with with all your experience and years, and now education, like what what would you say to someone who looking to change their drinking? Be honest, you gotta be yeah. honest with yourself. Is more than likely been very successful at lying to themselves, lying to everyone around them for sure, but it starts inside, you know, and know how bad it is. You and if you want to change, you're gonna have to start there, you're gonna have to start with being honest said like have moments of honesty like when you're laying on the floor at the y and you're just like what the fuck is this it's more than just that it's just gotta be willing to look at ugly ugly truth about yourself and be okay or no that's not have faith that you're gonna be okay that just because you acknowledge the shit that you've done and the shit that you're feeling doesn't make you shit. It's just the reality of your life, and it doesn't have to be that way. And what would you say to people, you know, here you have so many years of being so... What would you say to people to help them maintain their sobriety? Being have honest. longevity. Be honest, yes, you have to be honest. Okay. <clears throat> no one's going to do it for you. So if you want to be sober, if you want to be sober and not drink, then look at that, face that, own that, hold it, keep it right there in front of you all the time. If it's so significant that it 
is getting in the way of your own peace, own well-being, balance in life, then it's real. If that's for real, don't downplay it. And even if you've managed to not drink and feel like you're doing better in life for 10 days, 100 days, a year or two, stay honest about that. If that was for real, it's for real. If sobriety is your, your goal, true like abstinence, keep that at the forefront. And if it's not, don't let go of that memory, though. Because, I mean, we all have different lives. Likelihood of returning to that shit position where you wind up feeling like everything is lost and hopeless and empty if you start drinking again. Likelihood is high. So you've got to be honest about that. Stay honest about that with yourself. With your wife, not with your kids, not with your pastor, with yourself. The only person that matters, this is back to my comment about it being a selfish thing, the only person that matters is you. I'm the only person who's going to have this experience. The only person who's going to walk through this life I'm having. Same with you. Want to have a different life. Want to have a different experience. The only person who can make that happen is you. The person who can fuck it up is you. The answer is the same. You got to be honest. Yeah. Gosh. Well, thank you for your honesty <laughs> and coming today and coming. Don't at my house, y'all. Are we? Oh my gosh, we did that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm. I'm just so excited for you. When I saw that you were yeah. going to school to be a counselor, oh I also God. was like, oh, that. I appreciate that again back to my like it feels like the right yeah thing like nobody nobody I've run into has been like side eye a little cock their head of like really (laughs) well it's almost the opposite like you're an engineer yeah exactly exactly it is but you're always defying expectations (laughs) you are you know don't you think yeah it's so cool (laughs) <laughs> I'm I'm pausing there because I was, as I just said, that nobody has looked at me sideways with that. I I, I haven't. There's a couple people who may look at me sideways that way, but Walter will. Walter, Walter will. the yeah, dog. Yeah, the dog, Walter like... the dog. No, I just mean people who exes, people who. There's a handful of people who, for whatever reason that I've done that they've done, they don't like me. So. Oh well, we can't all be like. We're not all for, we're not all lemoncello LaCroix. Not everyone likes LaCroix. Yeah. Well, those people are stupid because LaCroix is awesome. Is there, I, we didn't even go into any of these. What, what do we got? No, I guess so. I think we're good. Okay. I really just wanted to have time to. So what, why are you this doing is this? is meaningful to me. Okay. Very meaningful. Why am I doing alcohol tipping point? Yeah. And the podcast. Yeah. The same. Like okay. I felt so. I felt so alone mm-hmm. and so stuck that I didn't want anyone else to mm-hmm. feel that way. And I want, you know, for me, that I didn't hit a, a rock bottom. Okay. You know, I hit the bottom of the Y oh my God. bathroom. But, you know, like, <laughs> like I, I didn't, you know, I didn't go the route of AA mm-hmm. and I didn't do rehab. I was always kind of like that gray area drinker. Sure. And so I I wanted to just be able to have a show also to present different viewpoints. Yeah. And have people from AA or Smart Recovery. I, I or people hear you. who didn't do it at all. Or yeah. they did it on their own or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So just for me, I really want to help people. I appreciate that. I'm laughing because that was my thought starting mine and then i realized after like 50 episodes like you only had people from your AA programs oh on yours yeah because like i'm just lazy me, but for me that was helpful for, because i never did AA. Sure. it was helpful for me to hear people talk about sure, it sure and have their different experiences with it of course and, you know i also thought it was interesting that the group you were leading that we have talked about oh the sure. flyer that i wanted to lead let's say your intention was a harm reduction group. Yeah. And not... Well, a use reduction. Not, not necessarily a, or a harmful use reduction. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, sure. I mean... Right? I mean, the ultimate goal of harm reduction or use reduction 
is zero. It could be any extreme, right? That's my assumption. And part of if, I mean, I just wanted to be there to provide a support group for people who are looking to curb their use. Yeah. Looking to change their relationship. Right. Whatever it looks like. But contained in that is going to be honesty. You want to curb your use and you can't do anything but get fucking drunk. Look at that. Yeah. I mean, that for me was, you know, if I could have moderated, I would have moderated. And that's what what every single person who's sitting in an AA room will admit if they're honest. Yeah. And I think, you know, you asked also why, like, I kind of present this different viewpoint is I just think anyone who wants to change their drinking to be like applauded. A hundred percent. And that, that gets lost in the, in the rooms. I mean, a good, a good, a good program, a good, good, good meeting. Every meeting's different, but a good one like that. But, you know, it's like any cult, let's say people get bought into the idea that this is the only way. It says in the program itself, this is not the only way. This is just our way. But people kind of sure. like, like, like anybody who reads the Bible too much, they'll gloss over the parts they don't want to want to. Yeah, they want to totally, evangelize. Totally. Evangelize. Yeah, it, it's so interesting to me. The AA and the AA backlash. Backlash. That was also part of it. Like, it, it, to me, it's weird when I hear people like shitting on AA. I'm like, well. Relax. You know, you don't want to do it. Don't do it. Nobody telling you you got to do it. Yeah. But there is a weird because I suppose just because it's been around for so long, it's this air quotes institution that now requires taking down a few notches or something in yeah. people's eyes. I don't know. If it's anger, you know, I, I, or blaming someone else, or blaming something. Certainly, else. what like, it feels like to me when I hear anybody talk about well, it not working for them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It sounds like a lot of projection. Well, I mean, for me, where it doesn't resonate is I I couldn't get to a place where I could call myself an alcoholic. That was too hard. I needed an in-between. You know what I mean? Like I I needed a a drinking anonymous program, not alcoholics (laughs) anonymous. Like they need to take I promise lots of people came in with that exact same mindset and found their way. (laughs) people I've talked to, the more I've heard that, sure. right? And so... But that's a good point. And that is part of why I was framing the, the group that I was doing in the way that I was, because I don't, I didn't, I didn't want to be pushing abstinence. I didn't want to be... Yeah. There's, like it or not, there's a feeling of judgment connected to that word, which yeah. is better or worse. It just is what it is. Yeah. Calling yourself an alcoholic is a, a leveling agent <laughs> let's put it that way what do you mean a level recognizing that you're an alcoholic oh. puts you at a certain level in your head of <laughs> like yeah i'm an alcoholic well it's it's and i actually don't use that word i, you I, laughed I noticed when that I handed you oh yeah i know alcohol free badass i know does that seem like denial to you no it just feels like that's the way you want to present I it i guess because i want to present it in a way that is empowering and positive Sure. And the term alcoholic is so like loaded with That's shame. What I'm it's loaded with a bunch of stuff. Yeah. That it doesn't but need for to be. Some people, right. For some people, that's what helps them. Well, to call themselves an addict or an alcoholic, that's what helps them. Yeah. Maybe it, that whole aspect of it, and I do have a podcast on this. It's an, it's being humble and it's recognizing. This room full of people, nominal strangers, anywhere, anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world, honestly, into that room from all walks of life. It's not all the loaded aspects of that word might mean to each person individually and to their actual cultures. That aside, it's just a leveling. Hey, Dylan, I'm an alcoholic. That's all. I think it tells people, like, I get it. I get you. Yeah, that's what I mean. We get each other. I feel those people. That's part of why I still go. Because mm-hmm. I feel a connection with people almost instantly. As soon mm-hmm. as we're all sitting there and we're there for one reason, general, like, world out here is going to be out here in an hour when we're done. Right now, 
people here doing this. And here are 11 people that I would fucking talk to, step out of their way at the grocery store and never notice them otherwise. Listen to them, feel them, give them a hug if they need offer myself to them. And it's a beautiful spiritual experience. Yeah. Can be. Yeah. Yeah, ideally. And when I'm walking around, someone offers me a drink. They ask why. I say no. I'm an alcoholic. Uh-huh. And I know what it means to me. And whatever it means to them, it gets them to quit asking me if I want a drink. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's important, you know, if you're listening to just find like your word and your mm -hmm. identity and like that yeah, honesty. Honest. Yeah. yeah, whatever. Yeah, because again, it doesn't matter if you don't like that word. It doesn't matter if you want to call yourself whatever you want to call yourself. It matters that you're going to live your life in a way that feels filling, joyful. And yeah. in the end of it, you know, when, when this all little thing ends and you're just laying there looking back, Whatever fucking that is positive and experiences you could have to be. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for your time. I appreciate you reaching out. I, I mean, it, it reminds me that that podcast still is out there touching people a little bit. Yeah. That's why I can't do it. I'm in school. It's just too much. And the pandemic was becoming the same podcast every time because it was just just sitting around doing nothing. <laughs> There's only so much like, this is tough. I know it's tough yeah, for a lot of people, but you know, it's the same tough as it was last week. <laughs> so yeah. And I don't want to phone it in. So. I've, I watch episodes I really liked were the ones where you and your friend review talked movie. about movies. I like those too. Those. I, I still do movie podcasts. I just haven't, I need to return to the sober movie podcast. That was fun. I really enjoyed those too. Yeah. Those are secretly my favorite, even though those were a distraction. Oh, I love them. <laughs> Me like, too. Oh, what was this movie? I'll go get oh, them. And I remember. Maybe so. we should start doing those again. I, I, you guys should. Yeah. Okay. I will. Okay. <laughs> well, if you have your podcast back, Mm. We'd love to be on it. Absolutely. Okay. Of course. Of course. We're still going to make that happen. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yay. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Alcohol Tipping Point Podcast. Please share and review the show so you can help other people too. I want you to know I'm always here for you. So please reach out and talk to me on Instagram at Alcohol Tipping Point and check out my website, alcoholtippingpoint.com for free resources and help. No matter where you are on your drinking journey, I want to encourage you to just keep practicing, keep going. I promise you are not alone and you are worth it. Every day you practice not drinking is a day you can learn from. I hope you can use these tips we talked about for the rest of your week. And until then, talk to you next time.